In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In most of Jesus' parables, I think it's possible to read them so that God is the hero of that parable. For example, in the parable of the prodigal son, God is the father who welcomes back the wayward son. In the other parables, God is the shepherd who seeks out the lost sheep. God is the one who goes and finds the lost coin. God is the good Samaritan that heals us when all others have ignored us. And God is the solid ground on which we can build our house. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, however, I don't think we get a direct picture so much of who God is. Rather, I think we're getting a parable of a picture of who God is not. God is not like the rich man in our parable. Two weeks ago in Luke chapter 15, we heard about the Pharisees who were the grumblers. The Pharisees were grumbling because Jesus was welcoming sinners. He was making sinners into his friends. And they wondered, what kind of God could be so friendly with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with Gentiles, with the scum of the earth? What kind of God would do that? Surely they thought God is not interested in availing himself to those kinds of people. Jesus then responds with a series of parables that show God is interested in those kinds of people. In fact, God himself is seeking them out. God wants to save them. He wants to celebrate life with them and salvation with them. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus serves as a kind of inversion of the story of the prodigal son or those who seek out the lost. What we see in this parable is a picture of ungodliness. It's a picture of the spiritual state of those who are grumbling about God's mercy. And so we notice the contrast and details in the parable. We're told that this rich man is dressed in purple and in fine linen. Of course, purple was extremely expensive and rare. Purple dye in those days was made from a rare kind of sea snail that had to be specially collected and specially processed. And so only the rich could own something purple. And only the richest of the rich could afford to wear purple as just regular clothing. We hear that the rich man feasted sumptuously every day. This isn't just eating with his family every day. It's not even just eating a big meal every day. It's saying that he has an elaborate, luxurious meal that he would eat until he was sick. This was a feast that was all about showing what you could afford, showing that you had the finest food, that you had the best wine, and that you had it in abundance, and you could eat and eat and eat and make yourself sick with it. And we're told that there's food that falls from the rich man's table. That's not just the crumbs that fall from the plates. But in these rich feasts, those who were dining, they would use large pieces of bread as napkins to wipe their hands. And once they wiped their hands, they would just throw the bread to the ground and let it be cleaned up by servants later. And so the common bread that families worked daily and worked hard for in that ancient world, that was literal trash for this rich man. It was nothing to him, nothing at all. And so we see the point. This isn't just a rich man. This is a man who has everything the world can offer. He has everything, luxury beyond belief. And who sits at his gate? A poor man 
Our translation says that poor Lazarus laid there, but a better translation might be that he was thrown there. He was cast there. He was in such bad shape that he wasn't able to get around on his own. Someone had put them at that gate, hoping that the rich man would see him and have a little bit of mercy on him. Remember, in this day, there were no social safety nets. There was no social security, no disability, no, welf no welfare, no social workers, no homeless shelters. There was only the hope that your family might be able to take care of you. And when they couldn't, the best they could do was put them outside of the rich man's gate and hope that there might be some mercy. And then Lazarus here laying here, instead of receiving that mercy, he's left there for dogs to lick his wounds. And these are not cute pet dogs, of course. These are half-wild dogs scavenging for food. And Lazarus, so weak, is not able to fend them off. He's not even fully clothed, that his wounds are exposed, and he has to lie there for the dogs. And there's a contrast here between this and the parable of the prodigal son. And it should be clear, because in the parable of the prodigal son, the father sees his poor, pitiless son from far off, and he runs to him, and he embraces him, and he welcomes him. And here, the rich man fails to see the poor man who's right outside his gate, who just needs a little bit of mercy. And the prodigal son, the father throws a party for his returned son. The father doesn't tell his son to go back to wanting to eat the pods thrown to the pigs. Instead, he kills the fatted calf for his son. He parties, he feasts with his son. And the father isn't partying for himself. He's not just indulging for the sake of indulging. He's celebrating that his son has returned. In this morning's parable, the rich man throws a party every day just for himself, just to show how much that he has. And the prodigal son, the older son, is encouraged to celebrate because this is your brother who has died and is alive again. In this parable, the rich man is told it's even futile to warn his brothers because they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. What we see then, I think what Jesus wants us to see in this parable, is that we see a God who does not lock people out. He does not ignore them. God is always giving, always showing mercy, always forgiving. The psalm for this morning says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord cares for the stranger. The Lord sustains the orphan and the widow, but frustrates the way of the wicked. In other words, the Lord cares for the vulnerable. He cares for the hopeless. Now that we have seen in the parable what Christ is telling us about God, we should consider what this parable might be speaking to us today. And so on the most basic level, I think we see that God does not want us to be like this ungodly rich man. Right? It's, un it's ungodly and it's cruel to ignore Lazarus at the gate. To be a Christian is to be filled with love. It's not to be cruel and callous. The Pharisees, whom Jesus is addressing, could not see that the sinners they so readily dismissed were in great need of God's mercy. And so when the Pharisees ignored them and dismissed them, they were being cruel. They were being exclusionary. And more than that, they were being ungodly. They showed no characteristics of God at all in their actions. And these Pharisees claimed to be righteous. They claimed to be believers. They claimed to have it all. Right? They knew the scriptures. 
They knew their traditions. They were well-educated. They claimed that they feasted on the truth of their faith. But they refused to look at the Lazaruses at their gate. All of those sinners whom Jesus welcomed were not welcome at the Pharisees' tables. And so on one hand, there's a warning to us not to ignore people who need God. Rather, to be a Christian is to realize there is great suffering in this world and that we cannot refuse to see it. We cannot shut out others from the life of faith and to dismiss others and to refuse to share the mercy of God with them is a road to hell for ourselves. That warning, I think, is very clear in the parable. But also, I think it's worth considering as we read this parable that each of us is a Lazarus at the gate. None of us, of course, are sitting in the street, wounded, unable to take care of ourselves. But many of us are there spiritually. Many of us carry all kinds of spiritual wounds. We carry the wounds of knowing that we have been disappointments to God at some point in our lives. Some of us carry wounds knowing that we've been disappointments to our families, to our loved ones, to those around us. And we know, most of all, that we're helpless to help ourselves. We know that we often try with all of our might to be better people, to do better spiritually. We resolve to stop a particular sin. We resolve to be kinder, gentler. We resolve to be a person who prays more, who reads the Bible more, who shows up to church more, who is more generous. We resolve to stop getting so angry at little things, to stop gossiping, or whatever it might be that afflicts us. And yet, we fail so often. Spiritually, so often we find that we are frail, that we're helpless. Spiritually, we can be like that Lazarus lying at the gate. And spiritually, there's nothing for us to do but to sit there and wait on God's mercy. But that's exactly what we are here to do. We come here with the truth that God does not ignore us when we are at his gate. Faithfully, we know that as sinners, God is opening his gates of mercy to us. He's inviting us to his table. He sees our wounds, he sees our pains, he sees our grief, and he embraces us. God is not that selfish rich man. God is the father who longs to have us in his arms. So when you come to that truth and believe it, then the fruit of love that allows you to see others as Lazarus blossoms in you. The author Brennan Manning puts it like this, As we come to grips with our own selfishness, with our own stupidity, we make friends with the imposter and accept that we are also impoverished, that we are broken, and we realize that if we were not, we would be God. The art of gentleness toward ourselves leads us to being gentle with others. When we know God's mercy to us as sinners, then we begin to see each other differently. We can see each other gently and carefully. We can show compassion to one another. And that's the truth of this parable. We are all beggars. We all have nothing but the mercy of God. And we're promised that he is faithful to us. He is faithful to see us and to show us that mercy. Amen.